You're listening to the winning literary show, Off the Shelf Books Talk Radio, live with host Denise Turney, author of the books Long Walk Up, Portia, Love More Over Me, Spiral, Love Has Many Faces, and Rosetta's Great Hope. Turn up your dial and get ready for a blast of feature author interviews, 411 on book festivals, writing conferences, and so much more. Ready? Let's go. Good morning out there and off the shelf books talk radio land. We're going to kick off this August Saturday, August 15, 2020 show with this thought from Nelson Mandela. A winner is a dreamer who never gives up. A winner is a dreamer who never gives up. Now, how about that to start your Saturday, especially if you had trouble getting out of bed, you're just, just so restful and sleep. I got to get up and get this day going. Before we introduce to you our awesome guest this morning, we have a, a wonderful guest on deck for you who I know you all are just going to love, off-the-shelf listeners. I want to ask you all how good of a mystery sleuth are you. I keep asking you. If you get a copy of Love Pour Over Me, I'm going to think you you think you're a pretty good mystery sleuth. You can figure out what's going to happen to Raymond Clark, who is the star of Love Pour Over Me. It's a book. It's a it, There's a murder mystery tucked in there. He has these four amazing friends he meets at college and his soulmate, Brenda. If you value relationships and you like, I mean, a tight, suspenseful mystery that just squeezes its way through the story, it keeps you turning those pages. Go get a copy of Love Pull Over Me. It's an ebook and in print book form. You can get it at Barnes and Noble, Amazon, Walmart, you name it. Again, it's an ebook and print. Just get a copy of Love Pull Over Me by Denise Turney. Go on and treat yourself and let me know how you enjoy the book. And now let us go and meet our very special off the shelf guest. And our special off-the-shelf guest this morning is Nanette Buchanan. Now, Nanette is a Newark, New Jersey native. She attended Rutgers University, and it was during this time that she was in college that she started writing. She worked at the New Jersey Department of Corrections, which she has since retired from. Today, Nanette is a full-time writer, wife, mother, and grandmother. And get this, you guys, she has published 11 novels, including Duplicity, a Hustler's Touch, The Stranger Within, Gossip Lines, Scatter Pieces, and Bonded Betrayal. You can check her out online at NanetteBuchanan.com, and <coughs> I'll spell it, N-A-N-E-T-T-E-M-B-U-C-H-A-N-A-N.com. I hope that M, M goes in there. She Hopefully she'll correct me when she comes on. N-A-N-E-T-T-E-M-B-U-C-H-A-N-A-N. We are just honored to have the net with us here on Off the Shelf this morning, and I hope I'm picking up the right line. Welcome to Off the Shelf, Nanette. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? I am doing blessed. How are you doing on this Saturday morning? I'm I'm just like you. I jumped up and had to get myself together. <laughs> Remember, it was Saturday, and oh, this this uh, this COVID thing drives you crazy. Oh I, yeah, I, I was bad when I was going to work asking what day it is, but now good. <laughs> I know because you are you're at home. Everybody's at home. Did I get the right URL? I want to make sure our listeners have the right URL because when this hits the archives, we get a lot of archive listeners as well. And I don't want them searching for the wrong URL. Is it N A N E T T E M B U C H A N A N? 
Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Okay. It's exactly okay. how you put it out there, yes. Okay, listeners, so when y'all go over there, y'all can check Miss Lynette out. But we're going to learn more about her even now. Those of you who are on, on the Internet, some people tuning in via their phone, but those who you, maybe you got a laptop or a desktop, you can go over to her website, again, N-A-N-E-T-T-E-M-B-U-C-H-A-N-A-N.com, and learn more about her and her books even as you listen to today's show. So, Nanette, first of all, it is truly a pleasure to have you with us. I used to live up in Ben Salem, Pennsylvania, and I worked in um, Princeton, New Jersey, and also at times uh, in New York. So I'm familiar with the Newark, uh, New Jersey, and definitely Rutgers. Rutgers is a big school up in that area. The first few questions that I'm going to ask you I ask every guest so our listeners can get a little backstory before we start talking about their books. So to begin, could you please tell our off-the-shelf listeners what life was like for you growing up in Newark, New Jersey? You know, I can't I can't remember a time where I wasn't fulfilled with, with you know, what was going on. I don't know if I was like the outcast of kids, but... I I had a great childhood. I I grew up in the South Ward district of Newark, New Jersey, Brick City, and um I was active in in all kind of sports. I was active in all kind of things. I went to a uh, a Catholic grammar school. I went to Bergraw first, then a Catholic grammar school, and then I went to Art High. And at Art High, I got into I was went for music and I got into uh literacy and and reading and all of this other stuff and you know god will 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 change some things and you don't you, you don't know it then but when you look back on it you see where the changes were i had honor english in high school and i kept asking how am i getting this this class with this honor english class why am i in honor english mm-hmm. and now i see where the connection is later on because i i started writing at Rutgers. I went to Rutgers, and ironically, I went to a class that I already knew. They told me I couldn't take advanced music. I had to take the music class that they were offering at the time. And four years of music in high school, I definitely did not need a beginner music class. But I used that classroom time to write poems, write children's stories, just write thoughts, write different things. And I never published anything. I just had it for myself. I could go back and reflect on some of those poems when I didn't feel good or, you know, going through college, sometimes things just don't work out with your boyfriend and your girlfriend acting funny. And, you know, so those kind of things, I was just writing, just jotting them down. And I kept them. I just, you know, I just held on to them. I held on to the children's stories. I didn't do anything with them because I didn't care to. I just enjoyed writing. And... I can honestly say that my childhood had a part in that, which I had no idea that that Hmm. would develop something later on. But that was my outlet. If things didn't go right, if we lost a basketball game or, you know, any sporting event that I was at, I'd go and journal. I'd go and write, you know, not diary style, not real journaling style, but just little notes, and I just kept them. And, you know, now as an adult, when I first uh, thought about writing as an adult, I still was writing. I'd get up in the middle of the night, i got to write something down. You know, riding on a trip, i got to write something down. Still collecting, still doing things, and never thought about it. I figured, well, let me type it up, make it look neat. So I wound up 
copywriting three volumes of poetry, and in each volume there's at least 100 poems. So over the years, I still write poetry that way. I just have not published a poetry book. I had written five children's books, and I'm just publishing the first children's book. So oh, my those, goodness. Yeah, those books were already written, though. Those things were already done. I'm adding, of course, to the poetry, because when I write a poem, I just add it into what I have, into the journals that I have. But the essence of writing must have been, you know, we all think about it, and we say that, you know, people are special. What I've learned is the special is already in you. You just have to develop it. So I already had the writing in me, but being published now is the development. It's it's to share. So I share it with, with, with readers. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so it, you so I, and that was my next question. That I, and thank you for all you shared. That was my next question to ask you when you were a kid. What did you what, before you got to Rutgers? When you were a kid, what did you dream of being when you grew up? <laughs> a pediatrician. <laughs> Pediatrician, oh. uh, and that that in itself, um, it it also ties in. And I always go back to God's reasons, um, but it also ties in because I wanted to be a pediatrician because I love children. I I just love their their freedom. Their well now in the world we're in now, they're not so innocent as we were when we were little because we didn't know some of the things that the children nowadays have to know. You know, they have to know about a stranger's touch. They have to know about certain things and body-wise and it's well above where we were. We, you know, we didn't get that stuff until, until I was a teenager. You know, we didn't, we didn't dare ask about, you know, Uncle Joe and why he's got a knot in his pants. You know, we didn't, we didn't think about those things. But right. the, children, the children then, we, we were free. We were free to, 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 to learn. And as I got older... I worked at camps. I worked at rec centers. I, you know, I did programs with kids. I coached a track team for about 25 years with kids. And I always loved children. And that led me to going into corrections, thinking I was going to go into corrections and deal with the juveniles because I know that many of them fall in between the cracks. It can't be that they really want to be criminals they they just fall in between the cracks. Let me let me try to get in and do something to help them and steer them another way and guide them. But as it would be, a woman talked to me and she said, "Listen, you've got so many government issues and so many the government's got so much of their hands in it. That's not the place to correct them. You're not going to be able to correct them there." But by then I was already in the academy. So I went on to adults, and I did my 25 years with adults. Well, I, you know what? I'm, you sound like a very positive, caring person, so I'm sure you had a positive impact on the people who you work with, so thank you for that, that service. I can only imagine how stressful that job is. and just seeing That's, that's a story too. by itself. I haven't written it yet. It's oh, my God. I can only imagine <laughs> Now, 11 books published, Nanette, that is so impressive. Can you tell us about the first book that you wrote and published? First, I have to just give you an insight on my thoughts. My thought, Like I said, my, my thoughts and everything else were that these are my thoughts. Nobody's going to want to read these. I, I've been to poetry slams and open mics and different things like that and done my poems and got standing ovations and claps and can we get a copy and all of that stuff. 
but I never thought about a book. I never that I never envisioned a book. I was at work, had been working with this woman for ten years, um, and you know we were not off the job close, but we were on the job pretty tight. Um, as God would have it, we would always miss special occasions. You know, like a cookout here, a celebration there. Oh, I'm busy. Oh, I'm working a double. Oh, I'm you know never got it. Not never got connected that way. She came back from maternity leave and said that she wanted to talk to me about my husband. Well, you know that sent all kind of signals. Wait a minute. <laughs> you just had me. The first thing out your mouth is you want to talk to me about my husband. No, mm-mm, mm-mm. We're not going to talk about this. This is not going well. You know. And I guess my look and my expression said that to her. She said, no, 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 no. It, it has nothing to do with that. I'm going simply by your last name, which is what we always address each other as. I'm going simply by your last name, and my mother has already expressed over the years that my father is James Buchanan, and your last name is Buchanan, and I'm starting to seek out my father, you know, and because I think I have three brothers and a sister. So instantly my mind said, oh, my God, here we go. Because my husband has two brothers, he would be the third, and he had a sister. So I said to her, well, I'll let my husband know. Maybe he knows more than I do. Let me just find out. Not only that, my husband's father's name was James. My husband's name is James. So it was kind of close. So I take it home, and I talk to my husband about it. Needless to say, he says, no, I don't know her. Weeks pass, she comes back again, and she says, well, if we are related, his aunt just died, and the funeral was Saturday. Sure enough, it was. Wow. He went back to his mom and everybody in the family. They all denied it. He came back, and he said, no, nobody's saying they know this girl. We don't, we don't know anything about her. She invited us to her house to show him a picture of, of the man. And upon seeing it, they both broke down crying. It, oh. was, it was his father. His father had passed years prior, 15 years or more prior, so it wasn't like it was a thing of why are you guys keeping secrets? Everybody's grown. We're, you know, we're, we're all grown, and my husband happens to be the oldest. So the question started, and my husband was, oh, suppose I met this girl. Her last name is Johnson. My last name is Buchanan. I wouldn't have known anything. You know, we would have fell in love or, you know, at least. Wow. You know, yeah. Uh, uh, had 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 a thorough affair and do all of this other stuff and never know that we were siblings. Wow. Never know. He said, this sounds like a book. You ought to write a book. I don't know how to write a book. I never wrote a book before. Well, you know what's going on, and this sounds like it could be a good book and a movie. People need to know who they're related to. People need to know who is who. This happens at reunions. It happens at all big – and we talked about it. Well, the book is entitled Family Secrets, Lies, and Alibis. Wow. So when I wrote the book, I wrote 750 pages because he wanted to be thorough about what was going on and what could go on. And then he reflected back to what was my father thinking. Even upon his death, he didn't straighten this out. What was my father thinking? So the book started out family secret lies and alibis the second book was a different kind of love because it wasn't adultery this was a this was a relationship that his father had with her mother 
after he had been separated from the family. So it wasn't like it was, you know, oh, my God, she was the baby. She was younger than his sister. So she was not in wedlock, you know, it's a, it's a mistress. It, it wasn't any of that. He was already separated, but they kept that secret. And Lord only knows how long they would have kept it if she hadn't revealed it. So Different Kind of Love became the second book. Well, the readers for Family Secrets, Lies, and Alibis, it sells out every, everywhere I go. When we leave, we don't have any more of them. Um, I have to keep plenty of them, you know, on stock, and, you know, it sells. It sells, it sells. Different Kind of Love sells, sells, sells. Readers started contacting me saying, well, what is going on with the men's family? Because what I found out that I do is after writing that book, I said I was done. Because like I said, I'm not a book writer. I'm done. And my husband said, but there's so many other topics that people go through that bring them pain, and they never release the pain because they don't know how. If you hit those topics, you'll be changing lives because we had reflected on all of the responses we got from Family Secrets. So a lot of the books, like the books that you named, have a direct input into a problem that we have, which is reality. So I call it reality fiction, because what it does is if you're sitting at home and you see yourself or you see someone you know in that book with those problems, now you can look at a book that's fictional, much like television, but it really drives in the problem. I went real deep to get these problems. So when the reader said, hey, what's going on with the men's family, I, I had to tell him the story's over. You know, he, he found out his, it, who his sister was, and, you know, okay. I did a twist in it. I don't name characters by their name. They're all fictional characters. They're fictional places. But the twist is the what if. Every time you see a topic and you say what if, that's what I write about, the what if. So I did have it where this young man had an affair with his sister. I did write it where this man didn't know what to do because he found himself sitting at the reading of the will with his girlfriend sitting across the table. What do you do then? How do you handle that? So duplicity became the third of that series because people wanted to know what was going on with those characters. So duplicity became part three, and it is my first series. All right, so this is what I was going to ask you. You know, writing a series book, some people some people prefer a standalone book. Some readers prefer a series book. A series book is a good way to build your readership, your audience, because if once once readers start to care about those characters, they want to know what's going to happen next to them. So then you leave that cliffhanger at the end of the first book. Then they read the second book. Then they want to know what's going. And we've had an author on here who I think she wrote almost like fourteen books in a series, and she said she knew that that was the end. But the reader still wanted more. <laughs> She's <laughs> like, no, this is this this is the end. I'm going to wrap this up, and then at the end of the family, fourteen books into the. It's like a TV series. That, yeah. You know, it just it just keeps going on and on and on, and then finally you say, "No, we're going to wrap it up here, and then we'll move on to a to a new book." But ha- new book. Ha- you hadn't even planned to write. You were doing spoken words. You were writing when you were at Rutgers. You hadn't even planned to 
even publish a book and your this story comes out about your husband's family and then he encourages you this could be a good story and so you put that into a story, family secrets and alibis and different kind of love and then duplicity. But had you at what point did you know you were gonna you were gonna turn this into a series book? At what point did you say, you know what, I'm gonna keep this story going? Well the only reason why it was a part one and a part two was because it was so many words. You know what I mean? It, you know, it, it it was I had wrote seven hundred and fifty words and I'm like, I I'm just publishing. Nobody knows who I am. They're not gonna read seven hundred and fifty words. So the part one and part two actually was one book. But okay. people looked at it as a series. And like you said, I was done. That's it. That's it. I was I was so done, Denise, that I said, I'm not writing another book. I was done. Because the thing about a series, as as now that I've written Duplicity, the thing about a series is that you're anticipating how far your readership has gone to. You know, you can look at your sales, you can look at the comments, you can look at different things, and you say, well, did everybody get that before I go on to the next one? You know, how many people, am I putting it out too soon? Am I doing something that I should be doing? And by help of other authors, they said, well, go on and write something else. Write something else in between. So that's the route that I took. I said, okay, I'm going to write a few books in between. And then I released it. Okay, I'll release Duplicity. I started another uh, series that I, I'm enjoying because it's it's the gyra that I love, which is mystery and suspense and crime and, you know, that kind of stuff. I love reading that kind of stuff. So I started a cold case series with my book, The Perfect Side Piece. And, again, if you take the twist of that title, you kind of wonder, what is a perfect side piece? Well, that's what caused the murder. Mm. Okay. So, okay. So the theme, but but the story itself is developed around this detective and the things he has to go through as a African American detective who's picking up cold cases where some of the police have dropped and the problems that he's having solving these cases because he's getting threats about it. Don't go back and do my work over again. They're going to look at me crazy. So it's it's a twist in it as he solves these cases. And again, some of these cases are going to be cases of our pain, our our hurt, and what we don't get over. And in that book, that particular book, the young lady is tired of being the side piece. She's dating these guys that are just lying, you know, and as they lie, she decides to bump them off. Oh God! You know what? I can see, I can see your your work as a correction officer and the things you heard. Oh my goodness! Can maybe even if not consciously but subconsciously start to come into play as you put these and this book exactly. series together. Exactly. Exactly. So a lot of the stuff, it, like I said, they're different topics. They're not all the same topic. Um, you highlighted Hustler's Touch. That That's a great one for women that are striving in, in their own industry or their own business. This this woman in, in this particular story has the, the, um, the family that has tradition that she should not. Women do not work. The men work. And that's the tradition that, that her family has. And her father is telling her, no, you, you, you can't go off and become a business person. And she comes to America from Africa, and she finds out that that underlying tone is the same tone that a lot of Americans have. 
that women can't take over. Women can't, you know, do certain things. Women should be at home. And that even though they don't pronounce it as loudly as a traditional family would, it's it's a, a sublineal message that we get as we go up the ranks. You know, what are you doing in the meeting? Why are you here? And she hustles her way through. So it's called the hustler's touch. Let me ask you this. So when you were doing your work at uh, the corrections officer, did you run into any of that? Is was it, is that some of the foundation, any personal experience that you had that when you first that, came in, everything was like? Yes, yes definitely. That and, and um, um, well, going up the ranks, you have to take a test. But then when you pass the test, they're looking at you like you can't handle certain things. You know, there's certain problems you're not going to be able to handle. They call you in when they, when they think that the the, uh, the inmate or the offender needs counseling because the woman has a softer tone or whatever. But they automatically think that you're only going to do the paperwork. You're not going to get in with the nitty-gritty of how to manage uh, uh, the other officers or how to manage whatever. There's a sublineal message. They don't put it out there blatantly because, of course, they don't want to be sued. But there's a sublineal message that says that, you know, hey, you took the test, but we got the job. You know, that kind of thing. You know, you get guys that, you know, want to want to show you that you, you might not fit in. You're not with the good old boys. You know, that kind of thing. So, yes, a, a lot of the lessons that I've learned, and it wasn't just from that. I worked for the city of Newark before that, and moving up, trying to just move up. Well, why, why, why can't you settle to be a secretarial assistant or a clerk typist? Or why, why would you want to be a manager of a division? These were the type of things that were always questioned as a woman. You know, why wouldn't you? Why? Why are you striving that hard? Oh, don't you don't have to work that hard. You can do this. You know, no. If this is what I want, this is what I'm going to go get. And you would get the side eye, you know, from other women as well as the men. And really, 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 really strange that even in these days and times. These things are still going on that people get afraid if they think that a woman could be at the helm leading. Exactly. Uh, that maybe a woman is too weak, she won't be able to make the, the – but, we, but we're left to raise entire families by ourselves. Exactly. Because I think the hardest thing ever to do is to, mm-hmm. is, to, is to help raise another human. So if we trust it with that work, then certainly we can do do uh, other work right. as, as well. Yes, 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 yes. What inspired you to write The Stranger Within? Just the title of that book is like, oh, you better get ready. <laughs> you better get ready. Uh, what, in, what, what inspired you to write that, that particular book? Well, I, I, again, it's a topic that's touchy. Um, uh, a lot of times, uh, in a lot of these things, we look at the person that's the offender or the person that has the problem, we always say, oh, it's great that they got this problem. Let's solve the problem. But in this one, it's about abuse and what has happened to this woman um, in her life. And I always question, never mind the abuser. We know that they may have problems. They may have underlying situations. But what happens to the victim? A lot of the victims wind up going to psych psychiatric treatment or taking pills because they got anxieties and stress and different things like that. They go to support groups and everything. But what about the person that has gone through it with their family knowing what what went on, gone through it with maybe their minister knowing what went on, but they don't realize what went on. So Mm. this woman is having dreams at night, and she can't make the visual of who the person is, but she knows she's being attacked. 
and she doesn't understand why at certain points she's having these dreams. And when she questions it, it arouses everyone that's keeping it in and not telling her. She was abused as a child. So automatically our system has a protection where we protect ourselves from trauma. It's, it's that same protection that if you fell off a bike and broke your arm, you'd be a little apprehensive about getting on a bike. Well, if it happened to you at a young age, you may not even remember what the accident is, and your mom or your right. dad might tell you that, hey, you broke your arm, but you, you can get back on this bike and ride. Well, that's where she's at with her love life. She doesn't understand why she's got this loving boyfriend. He does everything for her. He understands that she has these fears. He doesn't know what the fears are. He has no idea what she's been through. And she can't finger point why whenever he gets in this mood to be really over seductive or he does extra stuff, not just the regular, hey, baby, let's, let's make love, the extra. When he goes out of his way to do the extra, that's when she gets standoffish, and she doesn't understand why. And she goes to a psychiatrist, uh, well, an analyst, I might say, a dream catcher, actually, who tells her, you need to reconnect with your mom and talk to your mom about your childhood, and that's where she has to go with it. Ah, so what? What can you describe, Miss Brenda Preston? What? What? What is she like? What is she doing in her career? Is she close to her parents? Does she have siblings? And is she the only one in the family? Sometimes I've I've watched like real life stories where one one child will come and they'll speak out, and everybody in the family is saying, "No, no, 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 be quiet! Don't talk about it! Don't talk about it!" And then they find out it happened to other siblings. So does she have other siblings? What's her relationship like with her parents? And what she do? What is she doing for a living? What is what is well, her career field? Her, her career is she works as a, um, uh, I guess what you would call clothing consultant for a big store. So what she does okay. is she makes sure that the clothes are there and the styles are there and everything is up to date. And, but in the book, she's so distraught that she's barely doing that because it's really overwhelming her now. And she's taken time to try to figure out what's going on. She is an only child, and her father, her father is dead. And according to what she's been told, an intruder killed her father. So okay. she doesn't really know, and that was at you know an early age in her life. So she really doesn't know what what has been you know going on. And all she knows is her mother. And her mother has never remarried. She works at the church, you know, and her mother's really, you know, into, you know, the God thing and, and, and telling her, you need to turn to God. You're, you're having these problems. Turn to God. Don't come to me. Don't, don't come to me. And the woman, like I said, the dream catcher is telling her, no, you go to your mother and find out exactly what is going on and what has happened. I never heard that term, the dream catcher. Is it? Yes. She, she like there a- are there are people that follow dreams and, and follow, follow you know, they read the dreams. Um, I can remember when I was younger, um, my grandmother had a dream book. And, you know, they didn't play the lottery back then. They used to play the numbers. So she had a dream book that it, if you had a dream about this, this you look in the dream book and it tells you what, what, what your dream meant. You know, and you, you go in, the, in these books and do it. Well, there are some people that really thrive on that and study that. And I, I just labeled her as a dream catcher. So as a dream catcher, she's telling her that this is what is 
is going on in your dreams. But the root of your problem is your mother. You go to your mother and you find out because, of course, the mother knows what's going on. The mother knew what happened. They just didn't express it to her. Uh, Now, how old is, and we do think we can keep our secrets, don't we? Oh, mm-hmm. we think we can keep our secrets. Some they, people do keep them. Out, no Some people what. keep them all the way to their grave. Actually, exactly. they do. They, they they'll never tell it. But it, mm-hmm. what we think our secrets, we think we bury them. Especially when it comes to kids, we'll keep this a secret and it'll never come up. But sometimes they do. Up. They do come up sometimes. Mm-hmm. And her mother's trying to tell her take these pills, take this, take that, and she's like, "Mama, the pills aren't working. This herbal tea is not working. You talking?" Not- Something's got to be done about this. And she winds up going to this woman who actually helps people get off the drugs, get off this, and face whatever it is. Here's what your problem is. Face whatever it is. And even though she kind of doesn't believe her, she's working the way that the woman is telling her to work to find out what went on. And I just, I'm just a believer, even in, in all of my books, I'm just a believer that some of these problems that these people have – or people have in general, even myself, some of these problems are deep-rooted. Some of them aren't even our problems. They're the problems of generations ahead of us or, you know, that, that didn't pass on the solution, or they lived with the problem and ignored it. You know, so some of, some of our sicknesses, uh, high blood pressure, um, stress, anxiety, sleep disorders, those type things come from not evaluating what goes on, and sometimes we have to let that go. You got to you got to yeah. get over this. Let it go. And if you let it go, your spirit is at ease, and you sleep better. Your spirit is at ease, and you eat better. You know, there's different things that go on that we can change if we know that our spirit is at least, at at rest. Internal problems only make internal sickness. And you know what? I I I was listening to you talk about Brenda Preston and the Stranger Within. There are a lot of people who this story might really benefit. And one thing about novels, and you alluded to this earlier in the interview, novels you can read a story and it can be based on like a, a real life event. Or just, when I say a real-life event, I mean like a generalization, something that somebody has actually gone through, although may, it might not be somebody that you actually know or you don't know the specifics of what they went through. But because it's a novel fiction, people can drop their guard. Their defenses mm-hmm. might be lowered. And then the, the, that good work could start to, to, to happen as a person's reading novels. Sometimes it happens when people watching just a, a movie, a, a really well-put-together drama, and that healing starts to happen because it's not like they're sitting across from a therapist who's exactly. that we're talking specifically about you. It feels like it's about somebody else. Your defenses exactly. are down, and then that internal good work can happen. Now, how old is Brenda's daughter, Dominique, at the start of the story? How old is she, her daughter? She's in her thirties. She's in her thirties because she's 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 an adult. She's grown. She's in her thirties, thirty four, thirty five. Her boyfriend is around the same age. Um, she's old enough to to understand that she wants her independence. She wants to 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 um, uh, live a life that 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 she can choose herself. So a lot of what her mother tells her to do, she's like, oh no, mom, I'm not doing that. You know, I'm just not going through all of that. I just need to know what happened. And as would have it, as her mother's giving her 
different signs. I remember one of the things uh, um, that that we learned in Family Secrets, Lies, and Alibis was my husband said to his mother that, you know, this lady is saying this, there must be something, there's got to be a reason for her to ask these questions. And his mother said, why do you want to go into Pandora's box? And immediately I said, well, if there's no problem, then there's no Pandora's box. Why would she even say that if there's no, you know, and these, that's the same way Brenda feels about her mother. She's giving her little tidbits. So there's something there, but you're not giving me the whole picture, you know, so she, that's when she begins to, to talk more to this therapist, and the therapist tells her, your mother knows. You go back to your mother. You know, make your mother tell you what's going on. And then, it, again, when you pull that scab off of those wounds, it bleeds for you, but it also exposes others. You know, yeah, you, you're pulling at something that involved other people. So, of course, pulling that scab... Her mother didn't want her to know what, what went on, and she, you know, and she took confidence when it went on. Her mother took confidence with the church and the, the minister that was in the church. So her mother is going to the minister saying, hey, we, we can't have her figure out what's going on. What do I do now? Because they just wow. that. You know, you know, when you hear, when you, I hear stories, and, and I've heard stories, real life, where somebody kept a secret, and, uh, like you say, an adult child, a child grows up into adulthood, and they're struggling with something, and the parents still won't ever tell what, exactly. what, what's causing that. Is Brenda is is her mother like ice cold? Is she was she loving to her as a as a young? No, she, who was their no, relationship? No, she's loving. Like? She, she's loving, but she feels the guilt too. And a lot of times, people deal with guilt in different ways. So here you have the mother that knows what went on, and she feels guilty because she was not home. She feels guilty because she trusted someone else. She feels guilty, and she doesn't want her guilt to resurface just by Brenda asking, I mean um, Dominique asking. She doesn't, she doesn't want Dominique's fears to, to ignite the fears she had because she, she, she feels guilty. Yeah, I, well, this sounds like a very good read. What have readers been saying about the stranger within? What have what have they, they been hearing from readers? I I have um I have readers that have read all the way up to duplicity, and they're like, when's your next book? When's your next book? But with each book, they they get into where do you get this from? Why you know this this was what happened to so and so, and I'm glad that they can identify. With the with the characters, identify the problem, and realize that my writing, although in a moment in the writing, somewhere in the book it's going to get real gritty and real uncomfortable. Because the only way that you can feel the anguish and the pain and the emotions of the characters or what your friend may be going through or what your mom may be going through or what you may be going through is for it to hit grit. It's got to hit the grit. What is it that's, that has to be pulled out of you? How can I pull it out if I'm soothing you? I have to hit it. So a lot of them have come back and said, that was my story. That was what was going on with my sister, and I didn't know. That was what was going on with so-and-so. You know? And like I said, a lot of them are standalones. I didn't have to do anything extra. I brought out whatever the problem was, and then I left it alone. But... I can honestly say with all of them, people have said, so what's the next one for her? 
What's, what, what is Dominique doing now? What is this one doing? You know, they go back and get those characters. And like I said, once I give you that problem, if it's not an ongoing situation or an ongoing problem that you could see evolving into another problem, like with, with the Mintz family, there were so many people that had different dysfunctions in that family. I could take any one of those characters and jump into another book. But right. with, with this one, I kind of closed it because she she was able to embrace what it was. If you can embrace what it is, I can still leave you with a hook. But the thing about it is you kind of know that Dominique's going to be okay. You know, okay. she, she, she's going to be okay. But look what she had to go through to get okay. Right, right. And which can be inspiring and, and, mm-hmm. and empowering for readers who have had maybe a similar experience to what Dominique exactly. is going through. Or, or a reader... Who, whose role in their real life family was the mother Brenda's role? They might mm-hmm. find some comfort comfort in the story as well. Can you share what's going on with Janet Robinson at the start of Scattered Pieces? And you and I have to ask you next where you come up with your book titles. But can you share what's going on with Janet at the start of Scattered Pieces? <laughs> Janet is lost. She's totally lost. And I sent this in uh, the first. Uh, chapter, I believe, um, I sent into Essence as a short story, and that was the reason for it. And after her um, attempted suicide, or what they thought was suicide, I actually, um, it bugged me, it bothered me um, to to not finish the story. It was like Janet was talking to me, like, you you got to finish this story. I didn't commit suicide, but what happened next? Tell them what happened next. And um, it sounds crazy, but characters talk to you after you start writing all the time, and, and they, they start tapping you on your shoulder. Hey, hey, hey. And that, <laughs> that, story, that story just kept tapping at me. Um, in corrections, um, I was an uh, officer as well as a sergeant of the honor guard unit, which goes out when, when you know, funerals and uh, family members or, or officers and that particular year, we had more suicides than almost in the police department in Jersey. And it, it, it bothered me because I, as being a training sergeant, um, I also had to train the officers on suicide awareness. How can we depict, you know, when, when something is not straight with someone, your family member, or, or something that you, you, you kind of depict that they're overwhelmed? How do we do this? And I felt so obligated to putting it out there that everyone that commits suicide, can we look back at it and say, did they really mean to commit suicide or did they just want someone to look at them? And when no one showed up, that's when they did it. So I wanted to express that in some way. So I wrote the short story about Janet in the first first chapter of how she was going through it. Her, her husband ran off with another woman. Um, she had the three kids there. She needed to take care of those kids. He had came back and told her, whatever's in the bank, that's all you're going to get. And she was at the end of the money. She hadn't worked for five years because she had a five-year-old that she stayed home oh, with. So God. to the yeah. working force, she looked like it was empty. She went to the welfare office, and they were talking about, you know, um, well, if you, if you can't take care of your kids, we can put them in a special home. And she's listening to all of this, and she becomes distraught. She had been to interviews that day. She had been in everything, and she had done everything, and her sister was the pusher constantly. Well, you need to do this. 
You need to do that. You need let me watch the kids and you go do this and you go take care of that. So her sister was like in her ear, you know, constantly, leave him alone and do this and do that and it was crazy. So she was snapping. She was at the point where I tell everybody, you cannot tell me that there has not been a day where you just said if the world would just stop for a minute, I could get myself together. Yeah. I don't want time. I I want everything to just stop. And let me just get sit down, take in a deep breath, and get myself together, and then I'll push the start button again where I want it to start. But I just need a minute. Her minute right. came in her medication. And when she didn't okay. get instant sleep, and, you know, like most people will tell you, if you got a, a banging headache going on and you take two pills, that don't mean that the two pills is going to kick right in. you got to settle yourself for the right. medicine to work. And she wasn't settled. So she took more, and she took more, and she took more. And at the time she took these pills, she didn't realize you're ODing. You're uh, taking prescribed medicine. All she's looking for is a minute to just rest. Her sister has the kids. She could lay down. I could just rest. But she couldn't lay down. Her, her emotions were stirred and everything else, so she took these pills. Well, the life-saving thing was that the man that she went to do the interview with called her. And he's telling her, I really feel like I, I, I ran you out of my office, and I don't want you to feel that way, so I'm calling back to let you know you can start Monday. Well, at this point, she's drooling into the phone because she's, she's passed out. Oh, and he's, my hello, hello, hello. By the same time, the sister is coming home to change her daughter's shirt, which she's saturated, and she comes home and finds her on the bed so she does not die. But now the system is looking at her saying, you attempted suicide. Mm. Yes, I was going to ask you next. Is there was there a reason why she could lose her children? And I right. guess when they saw that, um, you know, you committed suicide, we, we, you, you, are your children safe? You, mm-hmm. Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! Can you introduce uh, our off, off the shelf listeners to some of the other? Her sister comes and finds her. She has her children. Some of the other major minor characters in Scatterpiece. You and you write some books with some really meaty plots. I mean, the storylines are like, and again, they they really um, have a, a, a bite into a real life. It's not, you wouldn't have to really think and say, oh, this would never happen. You could say, oh, yeah, I could see that. I could see mm-hmm. that unraveling. And, and I write in a way, like I said, my reason is to give people a, a second thought. Um, I've done I've done uh, the book with um, um, Gossip Line is is based off of the the stuff that we hear on the news. We don't want to hear everybody's personal life. We you know I I mean I, I understand it's news and it brings ratings, but I don't need to know that the president's got a pimple on his behind. You know I don't I don't need to know, <laughs> I don't need to know all of that. I, you know, I don't need to know what goes on in the, you know, in their off time. I don't need to know all of that, but it brings ratings. So Gossip Line is based on a woman that, that has a radio show, and 10 minutes before the end of the show, and Denise, you can imagine this, 10 minutes before the end of your show, somebody calls you up to tell you about your husband or tell you about an affair you had years ago or tell you about the fact that they know that you, you're you're suffering from, from anxiety when you hang up the phone. You know, they, they, they know you go to the psychiatrist three days a week. You don't want your, your listeners to hear that. You don't want mm-hmm. to, but, but your ratings go up because now thousands of people want to hear it. Yeah. So, of course, <laughs> this woman is stuck too. You know, so these are things that 
I bring up simply to make sure that people understand the problem. Now, in Scattered Pieces, there's supportive characters. Her, she has to put her sister in line because her sister tells her, oh, the system will never get your kids. I'll take them. No, you won't take my kids. <laughs> no, you won't. You know, so she has to really rely on her faith to get her strength together and to do what she needs to do. And God has a way of handing you things and waiting to see what you're going to do with them. So you needed to separate from your husband because he already left you. But look, if you keep swallowing all of your thoughts and not speaking up and not doing for yourself, this is what's going to happen. Your sister's going to have your kids. Your husband's going to take over anything else that goes on with you. You're going to be stuck going to a psychiatrist back and forth to try to get stable and still deal with this. What are you going to do? How are you going to do this? How are you going to, how are you going to go and climb over this and get to where you need to be? And that's what happens. And that's what happens. So a lot of times we have to think beyond where our problem is because our problem sits in our emotions, and it, it causes us to be angry or frustrated or, or, or you know, overwhelmed. You, you know, it's like the, the, the counter that you go to and the last person before you angered the teller, and then you go and she goes, well, what can I do for you today? And you're looking at her going, I didn't say anything wrong to you. <laughs> you know, why are you treating me like that? You, you know? So it just becomes a, a habit of ours to harbor things that other people do to us instead of confronting them or confronting whatever it is or being able to put it to the side and moving on, looking at it as that's your day that's messed up because my day is okay, you know, and you keep there on you going, go. you know. You so it, 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 I want to reflect that in each of the books because of the simple fact that we all have issues, you know. Um, I, the, the one that, that, that turn me and and make me, you know, like look at it and go, oh, well, wait a minute. What about the person that had this problem? And then I I write about it. What about Mm. the person that has this? Um, uh, Skeletons beyond the closed door. Everybody thinks that that's a horror. You know, oh, she's writing horror books now. She's jumping from gyra to gyra. No, I'm not. I'm not. (laughs) not. Believe me, I'm not. This is about a woman who finds out that her husband is on the down low. Oh, and she's like, I can't, I can't do this. You got to go. We got to separate. We got to divorce. And you have a good life. I'm not going to ruin your life. I'm not going to broadcast it. We can use it as you cheated, and, and that's it. So they agree, and they separate. But seven years later, their daughter is getting married, and the daughter is overjoyed that her dad is going to be there and walk her down the aisle. Well, the wife is going through it now. What is he going to bring back? His girlfriend is who? Who's the female? Who's the male? What is he going? Is he dressing and wearing stilettos? What, I don't know what's going on. She has not revealed it to her children. She has not revealed it to her, her family, and she doesn't want it revealed at a wedding. Well, yeah. Oh my goodness, where do you get the ideas for your novels? I know you say you look at situations and you say what if, what if, what if you mm-hmm. take it from that angle. But where do you come up with? Is it again? With your 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 work as a corrections officer, I can only imagine that the the real life stories people you've worked with there years ago have told you. But do you get it from TV shows? Do you get where does the idea, the concept of your stories that's so like meaty? Where do you get the ideas for your stories from? 
I think it's a combination. I think it's a combination of all of them because especially the ones that deal with um, any type of crime or any type of um, um, twist in a crime, um, definitely, like I said, the perfect side piece with, with the detective will have a lot of stuff that I know just from criminal justice and, and that type stuff. But the, the, the meat of the story always comes from someone saying, I'm tired of this. I'm sick. I, you know, I've been through this. Um, that really hurt me. Um, when you, when I hear that from people, or I read it, or or I see it on on the news, or I, or I see it in, like you said, in a movie. Um, the 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 movie may be a great movie, but the 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 source of what they're talking about may have a different spin. And I take that spin, and I develop that spin. Um, we've we've all seen the the pictures of the other woman, you know, stepping in. And we've even heard the, in the reality television, yeah, I'm the mistress, you know. But who really wants to be the mistress? Who really wants to be the other woman? The question always mm-hmm. comes up, can you love two the same way? You know, so do you really want to be a side piece? Do you really want, is that what you really want to want to live in? I don't think so. And yeah, you know what, it's, no, go ahead. And when it was brought to my attention, my my son is a comedian, and he does comedy all over the United States and everywhere. And when he brought it to my attention, he said, Ma, you need to to write a story about the perfect side piece. I said, there's no such thing as a perfect side piece. He said, exactly. (laughs) He said, exactly. Have her kill him. And that's all he said. Oh, my God. That's all he said. He said, exactly. He said, because what do women say when you, you, if you find out your husband is cheating, what would you do? You know, even if you don't uh, mean it. You say, yeah, it's time to go. See ya. <laughs> it's time to you go. I mean? The relationship. A lot of women would stay too, though, yeah. and try to change the guy. But yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, so, it's, it's realistic. It's 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 really what what goes on. Now, I had one that really challenged me was the bonded betrayal. I think you mentioned that earlier. Bonded betrayal really really shook me because. I was writing the story, but I can I honestly say the characters wrote the story. Like I told you, they tap on your shoulder and all of that stuff. And I didn't know where the story was going. Um, I, I I put it down a couple of times and said, ah, it's not going to work. Um, the twist in it is you and, I, you and I went to high school together. We grew up together. We know each other. We've been friends all four years going into the beginning of college, and we've had that same clique, maybe four or five of us. You know, we're, we're a group. We're, we're tight. We eat lunch together. We do a lot of things together. And you find out going back to the reunion, the class reunion, that something happened to me that could affect each person in that group mm. and the way that they've been living their life. Some of them would not have made the choices they made if it, if I had told what happened to me. So that's why wow. it's the bonded betrayal. Oh my goodness! I have to ask you now. This is we're talking to Miss Nanette Buchanan, author of eleven eleven books, including she's also written some children's children's novels. But you didn't, you didn't even set out to be a published writer. You started writing at, when you were going to Rutgers University. You got in a writing class, and then you started writing, and you were taking music, and you didn't need any more intro music classes, and so you used that time to do more writing. And now here you are with 11 published novels. How many books do you, do you like write a book a month, or do you say I'm going to write 
two, three. Some writers write a book a month. Some writers are knocking out a book every other month. What is your like your writing process that you follow to where you have published eleven novels to date? Well, I started writing in two thousand seven, and in two thousand seven, I was still um, working. So my goal was to at least publish two a year. Um, but I stick to the same um, – I, I retired two years ago, and I stick to the same concept that I'm going to publish two a year, and that would not include this year or last year. But I'm now full-time. So after I got settled and situated, and then COVID hit, so a lot of the appearances that I was supposed to make and do and everything else were, were canceled, but I'm still – at the point of saying I'm going to publish at least two books a year. So I write at least two hours a night. If it's not promotional stuff that I'm doing, if it's not posting on on, on, on uh, social media, which we now have to do more because of the, the COVID situation, we can't get with people, um, I try to write at least two books a year. And in that way, it does not make me rush into the topic. I can easily wait for, as I said, those characters to speak up and speak out. I can I can really get into um, what's going on with them and their background. Um, so I, I write two a year. And you know what? Good for you. I salute you on even that. Can you share, we have a little less than three minutes, can you share three to four steps you take found to be effective at getting the word out about your books? I know you said before COVID, going to in-person events, and, I, and I've experienced that as like the best way to really move books. But what are some other ways that you found to be effective at getting the word out about your books? Well, of course, your your own website is, is the, you know, you have to have a website where people can go to and look through and everything else. Although a lot of us use Amazon, the big seller, we all know as authors you're only getting a percentage of your sales through, through Amazon. But Amazon has a yearly catalog that they put your book in. They have, you know, you, you have a, a place there. There is nothing better than having your your book stand out in various online locations, in various stores, um, getting uh, your local store to, to support you, supporting your local events. And the other thing is just networking. Sometimes you don't have to network your books. Network who you are. Network what you do. And sometimes in that networking, people don't mind, hey, you know, I, I'm, I purchased her book, and look, and now you got, you got free advertisement. The best thing is word of mouth. So you have mm-hmm. to go in join book club groups, do book club chats, do different things with with people that you may not know. Get to know them. Get to know who's moving books, who's who's, um, promoting books. How can I sell my book? Get to know those networks. Now's the perfect time. What are you going to do in COVID? You can't go anywhere. Now's the perfect time for you to set up those platforms. Get as many platforms as you can, Twitter, LinkedIn, uh, uh, Instagram, your website, Facebook, Get as many platforms as you can to put your books on, and don't uh, push everybody towards your book. Also let them get to know who you are. Write some inspiring words every now and then. Every day I put up an inspirational quote on Facebook. Every day I put up an inspirational quote on LinkedIn. You know, I make sure that the audience can see that other than that, look, I'm sending you some inspiration. I'm sending you some things. And with that, my next post may be, Pick up duplicity. 
My next post right. will be, check me out at this event. Check me out at that. The other thing that we don't do is we don't support those that support us. You know, you if you, you say to me, hey, I'm going to have you on my blog show, if you look on all my pages, there's, a, there's an invite there. Come to this blog show. Come and, come and listen. Come and hear. You know, support those that support you as well. Yes, yes, and and so appreciated, and that is great, great advice. I really, really have enjoyed you, and I know our off-the-shelf listeners have as well. Where can off-the-shelf listeners get a copy of your books, Lynette? They can get a copy right at uh, my website, www.nanettembuchanan.com. My website has my books. If you want the ebook, it will redirect you right to Amazon's ebook, but you can get the paperback right from me. What's the difference? The big thing is if you come to my website and get it, you also get an autograph. You also get information. If you go to Amazon, you just get the book. So it's, you know, some people are in Prime, so they may want to, to combine it with other books or whatever. That's fine. But I'm on Amazon, and my website has my books, so you can come right to them. Okay, and and you, you know what? It's always best to get it directly from the author, especially when you get that autograph copy at n a n e t t e m b u c h a n a n dot com. We have had the pleasure of having Miss Nanette Buchanan with us this morning. She's the author of eleven novels, including Duplicity, A Hustler's Touch, The Stranger Within, Gossip Line, Scattered Pieces, and Bonder Betrayal, amongst others. Please again visit her Nanette M Buchanan dot com and go support her and get a copy of at least one of her books. She is one of those prolific writers and so enjoyed her interview today. Again, please go support Miss Nanette Buchanan. For our listeners, thank you for being here with us. We'll come back next Saturday, 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Set your dial, set your dial, 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, that you're going to gift yourself and treat yourself to off-the-shelf books talk radio as i always tell you remember you are awesome you are incredible you are amazing go out and create a fabulous day for yourself nanette i'll shoot you an email with a link to the show when it finishes streaming thank you thank you thank you so much bye for now thank you thank you i really appreciate you getting in touch with me and offering me this opportunity and thank you to your audience for listening in thank you so much bye for now bye-bye